Welcome to the Ponder New Podcast. I'm Pastor Rob Myles, and in this season of the podcast, we're looking at the Gospel of John as Jesus encounters people. And in today's uh, episode, based on John chapter 3, we're going to be looking at Jesus encountering Nicodemus, who's a Pharisee. That's right, a Pharisee, one of those uh, self-appointed religious uh, judgmental jerks that existed 2,000 years ago and existed today. But Jesus is going to meet this person, love them, and transform them. So how can we talk to and engage with the Pharisees in our lives, if not the Pharisee in the mirror? Now there was a Pharisee named Nicodemus, a leader of the Jews. He came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do apart from the presence of God. Jesus answered him, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God without being born from above. Nicodemus said to him, How can anyone be born after having grown old? Can one enter a second time into the mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and spirit. What is born of the flesh is flesh, and what is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not be astonished that I said to you, You must be born from above. The wind blows where it chooses, and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you a teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know and testify to what we have seen, yet you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you about earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except the one who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, so that everyone who believes in him may not perish, but may have eternal life. Indeed, God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. We all have Pharisees in our lives. Again, we all have people that are like the Pharisees in Jesus' day. And the Pharisees, if you sort of um, aren't too familiar with the New Testament, maybe a little bit, you've heard that the Pharisees are the almost the enemies of Jesus, that they're the self-appointed judges over everyone, the self-righteous, hypocritical, religious um, jerks. You can even use more colorful language there. Uh, And that, you know, they're the, again, the foil for, for Jesus. And yet Jesus is going to be talking to a Pharisee. And as we'll get to, actually change the life of that Pharisee. So, how, what, what can we learn here from Jesus about how to encounter, how to engage somebody who is a Pharisee? And eventually we'll get to what does this 
say about how Jesus in, encounters us. And what uh, tells, or sort of what's, you know, kind of striking about this encounter of Nicodemus and Jesus is the way in which Jesus just um, gets to the heart of the matter. And this is, <clears throat> again, the ability of Jesus in a way that none of us other humans have. It's sort of like, you know, you watch a, a movie that is a mystery, like a murder mystery. My wife ends up watching uh, these Murder, She Wrote reruns. Um, there's always, like, some detail that uh, Angela Lansbury's, like, character kind of picks up on uh, that, like, you know, the rest of us mortals missed and that somebody sort of caught, like, oh, did I say that? Well, blah, 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 blah. And, and Jesus kind of starts speaking today in a way that suggests that there's, there's more that he knows and understands about Nicodemus than, than the rest of us. Because Nicodemus comes to, to Jesus in some ways in a posture of humility. He comes at night, um, which, while representing sort of that he's in the dark, it also reveals that he doesn't want to be um, aggressive with Jesus. He doesn't want to shame or try to trap Jesus. He's, he, you know, he somehow has has something that's gnawing at him. There's a sort of a true curiosity, and he honors Jesus with his words. He calls him a rabbi, which is not sort of a title of sort of an academic title, but really an honorific, like you're a teacher, you understand this. And he says, you know, you, you're from God because nobody could do the things you're doing if they weren't. And then Jesus just turns around and starts saying, well, you've got to be you know, born, born from above if you want to see the kingdom of God. And you're like, where does that language about kingdom of God come from? I mean, Jesus says it all the time, you think, but actually in the Gospel of John, he only uses it here. And why in this particular case? Well, Jesus knows that Nicodemus is hungry for the kingdom of God. A more careful understanding of the Pharisees reveals that the Pharisees, well, and this again goes how to listen to them. I think actually Jesus empathizes with them Jesus understands, I think, what, what they're working against and what their motives are. Because the, the Jewish people are occupied by the Romans. And on the, the one hand, um, this, this doesn't necessarily impact their religious life in that the Jews, because of uh, the way in which they aided Julius Caesar in, like, I think, like 66 or 67 BC or something like this, uh, were given uh, permission to not have to pay homage to the emperor, not have to worship Greco-Roman gods. And I think also the Romans just realized that they were just too stubborn of a people um, to ever give up their ethical monotheism. But uh, the other thing is, so on the one hand, again, they're given this freedom, but on the other hand, they're really living in an occupied territory. The Roman uh, Empire is there in military force. And that sends out its publicans, its tax collectors. And so the Jews have to pay taxes with Julius Caesar's name, image on them. And so uh, even if they don't have to, um, you know, worship in the temples, they still have to give over their money and know that that money is going to pay for soldiers who oppress them as well as to build temples to other gods. And the temples to the Greco-Roman gods... Um, are, are really abhorrent to the Jewish understanding of, of faith and religion. You think about the gods personified and more identified as Pluto, Jupiter, Venus, 
and Mars, and you start thinking, well, what is this culture really worship? And it's, you know, money, power, war, and beauty. And the way in which often worship happened in, in those days was that it involved uh, temple prostitution. Uh, I mean, I could go even further into cultic practices, but just to say that, again, it's a total abomination uh, for the Jewish Old Testament mindset, and, and really in many ways even the New Testament mindset of what worship of the true living God is supposed to be about. And so uh, the Pharisees sort of see this, and they're like, this is not good. And they also see that their leadership, especially their sort of civic leadership, the Herod family dynasty, isn't going to do anything uh, to sort of prevent the Hellenization or the sort of Romanization of their people. Uh, And so they're, they're sort of, they're the ones who decide, like, hey, like we... We need to be faithful to God. And as our society is losing its identity, as our society is losing its moral compass and giving way to this really terrible way of life that we need to, to hold fast. And not only did they just sort of think about this defensively, they even thought about it a little bit more like if we can do this, then we can bring about the kingdom of God on earth we can bring about the messianic age we can trigger sort of the the sort of the the return of of israel to prominence and to god's sort of dwelling among us and so there was this sort of again this sense that the world was out of control and um, that there was a profound sense of, of loss of religious fervor and that they're really trying to to hold fast to the teachings. They're seeking the kingdom of God. And in fact, many of the religious Jewish leaders who do convert are Pharisees because Pharisees also believed in the resurrection of the dead. Paul is a Pharisee. Uh, so so a more deep look shows that you have the Pharisees. They may be misguided. And whenever we sort of have a project of the law uh, in that way to think that we're going to bring about God's kingdom through our obedience, inevitably we end up in a situation again and again in history of, of self-righteousness um, and <laughs> uh, easy accusations of hypocrisy. But at their core, again, they're, they're wanting uh, the kingdom of God. And, and I think when we deal with people who we view as Pharisees today, um, many of them at their core are reacting to the same forces that the people in the first century were. They feel that society is religiously, uh, morally, sexually out of control, that sort of a, a consensus about decent human sort of behavior has just given way to sort of a, uh, everybody does what it is, ever feels good or in their own mind. And, and, that's, and that produces such a sort of a sense of panic that they seek then the kingdom of God uh, through adherence and obedience to sort of a self-prescribed uh, set of laws that they find in an ancient text. It's, it's, again, the same sort of process. Society breaks down. The public leadership doesn't seem to be doing their job. So some <laughs> seek sort of compromise with those politics. Others seem to just kind of say, like, hey, our job is to sort of be faithful now to the covenant and to bring about a new age. And so what, what Jesus is going to do, though, is that Jesus is going to get to the core of the matter here, and he's going to find a way to build a bridge. He knows where what he's teaching and what Nicodemus is, is looking for 
actually mean. So Jesus finds a bridge here in that he actually appeals to the best in Nicodemus. Right? He appeals to the very best in, in Nicodemus, his longings for the, the kingdom of God. The second thing that when we encounter people who are, are Pharisees that we need to understand is that the, the deconstruction of their worldview is not going to be brought about by one conversation. I think sometimes when we get most animated in conversations and when we fool ourselves, we think that we're, if we could just convince this person to sort of see the light or, or, or get it, that you know, they would suddenly, you know, everything would change. And that's not what happens in, in Nicodemus's case. Because Jesus, well, Jesus, in fact, lays bare the truth. And what Nicodemus says is, look, sorry, what Jesus says to Nicodemus is this whole project that you've been doing, um, trying to bring about God's kingdom through your obedience to the law, that's not actually how it's going to work. And that God's kingdom is going to come when the Spirit blows where it will. It's going to be a work of God, not a work of, of humans. And... And that's really, if you think about just how disorienting that is for Nicodemus, because at first he asks, well, you know, about, you know, he, he almost wants the simpler answer, sort of the physical denial. Well, this, you can't be born again in your mother's womb. But Jesus is saying, no, look, this, is, this is actually about a, a spiritual rebirth that's going to happen, not because of what you do, but because of what God has done through the Spirit in your life. And I think what's fascinating is that the rallying cry of sort of Pharisees often becomes about being born again, being born to sort of this, um, through a conversion process, to sort of, again, be obedient now to, these, to this set of teachings. And it's often accompanied by a phrase, you know, I accept Jesus as my personal Lord and Savior. And th this is a really uh, a hard thing for me. Um, like everybody I've thought in my life, I've been asked if I've accepted Jesus as my personal Lord and Savior. And, and at this point, if I were to be asked, do you accept Jesus as your personal and Savior, I'm sort of caught because if I, there's kind of no right answer because if I say, yes, I have accepted Jesus as my personal Lord and Savior, that, that makes me sound like I have chosen uh, Jesus much like I choose, you know, whatever flavor of Cheerios out of the grocery store. Like it, it buys into, a, it, it, it allows for pride and it buys into a consumer mentality that I get to choose the creator of the universe. Yet if I say I don't accept Jesus, well, that's just like a terrible thing to say and that would deny the faith that I have. Um, so it's, so the whole paradigm just isn't, isn't helpful. I think the, the better way, if, I, if somebody were to say, I'd say, well, I, I confess Jesus is Lord. <laughs> I mean, I, that's what, I believe that Jesus is Lord. I, I just, again, get really nervous about accepting. And I would often want to say, I believe and I trust that Jesus is Lord because the Spirit has revealed this to me. And God has worked in my life to give me such a conviction about things that have happened and the power of the word that in spite of evidence to the contrary, I, I still trust that Jesus is, is Lord and Savior. So, uh, I, but I want to say that even for me, that, that, you know, it's been a journey to kind of think about that. Um, and I think when you have somebody, again, who their whole life has been invested uh, in sort of this, this Pharisee project, um, or even they've been brought up in it, 
it's, it's really going to be a hard thing for them to let go of that. Um, and, and so, well, what's the story, though? The story is that this isn't actually Nicodemus' only chance. Nicodemus comes back more than once into the Gospel of John. And finally, Jesus will be there at the very end to help bury Jesus. So it's gonna, it, there's going to have to be some things that happen in Nicodemus' life for him to make sense of the truth that Jesus tells him. And so whenever we're dealing with people who are Pharisees, that this, it's, it's going to be a journey and not a conversation. And that if we're not up for the journey with them, we probably don't need to engage in the conversation. Because a lot of times when people hear a, hear a truth that undermines their convictions, they either double down on their convictions or everything falls apart and they just swing wildly in another direction. You know, like American evangelicalism is really emphasizes a personal conversion and a relationship with Jesus. And I've known many people have grown up in that, and then when they, they leave, they, they just they can't abide it anymore for whatever reason. And then they sort of go often either into modes where either there's no God or they so de-emphasize a personal relationship that it's not even biblical faith anymore. Again, it's when we have fundamental truths of the way that we held the world to be, to be shattered for us, that's, that becomes its own sort of journey. That it's going to take time for us to sort of come back to a synthesis, uh, a new way of understanding life. Uh, you know, and I think about people, um, just in, in any kind of ism that people sort of buy into when, when again, this is deconstructed. Um, so it's going to be a journey, and, and I would just say that if we're not willing to journey with people, then I, I, I'm not sure if we really should be the ones to sort of um, try to deconstruct a sort of other people's sense of race, life, politics, and, and faith in all of this. The last point I want to say is that it's, it's not about convincing somebody in a proposition so often when we hear the word believe, we think of belief as uh, an intellectual assent. Like, I believe it's going to rain means I think it's going to rain with something like more than an 80% probability. And so when we say, like, I believe in God, this means there's some intellectual truth that a God exists, and we agree to that, like, uh, probably 80% or more, maybe 90% or more, and then we feel comfortable saying with integrity, I believe. But in the New Testament, the, the word believe is always about trust. That, that's what the word means in Greek. That's what the word means in Hebrew. And even Latin. I mean, the, the, the word here, belief, is, is trust. Like the creed, credo, credible, incredible, credit. I mean, it's about trust. And so we're, when, when it comes to sort of then what, what Jesus is really asking for here from Nicodemus and what Jesus is asking for from you is no longer to trust in your own righteousness in your own project, in your own self-advancement, in your own social causes, and rather to trust in him. To trust in his work for you in the cross. <laughs> that's a, wow, right? And that's disorienting for all of us. And there's a Pharisee inside of all of us, a desire for all of us to sort of make life a project of our own when we, we just see what's going on in the world. And, and Jesus is saying, like, mm, you're not your own project. 
You're a creation of God. Uh, <laughs> so, so again, I, so we all knew this is where I had to go in this podcast, which is if we're going to talk to Pharisees, we have to recognize the Pharisee in ourselves, the tendency we have not only towards our own self-righteousness, but more fundamentally to make life a project, a project that if we apply ourselves and we work and we do the right things, that we sort of advance in the game of life. And then we can look down on those who just sort of aren't valuing the game and playing the game by the same rules as we are. Because ultimately what Jesus is saying is that there's a reality called grace in this world. There's, an, there's a spirit that, that interrupts our lives with, with mercy and love that we didn't deserve. And I think it's finally only when we recognize that in our lives, when we're vulnerable enough to acknowledge God's work that was in spite of us, that was overwhelming to us, that, that rained down mercy and grace and love on us, that's when we stop becoming Pharisees. And that's when we can finally have the patience to deal with other people who are Pharisees, trusting that God's grace will ultimately interrupt and transform them as well. So that's how to talk to a Pharisee.